For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup sea foam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on sea foam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to SteelDealers.com. Now... Here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. You've got mail. One of the easiest ways to open up one-seventh of Maryland's public lands would be to get their archaic blue laws that prevent Sunday hunting repealed. Closing Sundays to hunting should be a violation of Americans' constitutional rights. I work my ass off five days a week for and crap benefits. I'm a talented welder and fabricator. It's just the nature of the beast. I'm lucky to get off for two days during the weekend. The fact that Americans are robbed of one of the two days that present an overwhelming majority of the U.S. population with the best, most viable options for long-term hunting success and enjoyment is effing BS. I got into hunting late about six years ago, fell in love with it, and dove all in. Six years later, I have all but succumbed to the fact that it's just not set up to be a viable pastime for working Americans. I can go on and on for hours, but the fact is, allowing Sunday hunting would absolutely be a positive for the entirety of the hunting community. It's insane that it's not allowed federally, or at least on private land, but it should be on public land too. Sorry, I know it's not really a land access initiative thing, but I think it's valid. This week, we're talking a lot about access and land access initiative, what's going on legislatively, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about what's going on in my week. And I'll tell you, old Chester and I, who goes by the handle Musky Chet on the Instagram, went out after some early season walleye. It's been cold and snowy here in Montana, and the water temps were about 34 degrees. I have generally poor luck when it comes to early season walleye, and I may just enjoy making fun of you serious walleye anglers more than catching walleye, but I still want to catch them when I go out. Anyway, 
It was super cold, no other boats on the lake, which is not typically indicative of good walleye action. Seems to me that walleye anglers, despite their $80,000 worth of boat and gear, if not more, tend to stick together on the water as if they could sink at any moment and need to be within spitting distance of another equally fancy boat in order to be saved. Anyway, we were out all by our lonesomes, and we managed to put two whole walleye in the boat. Each one could have been eaten by a healthy Lake Cascade perch. Then, old Chet gets a hit and gently reels in a walleye I will not soon forget. The fish hugged the murky depths of the 12 feet we picked it up in. I wouldn't really say it was running, but I will say it didn't immediately come to the surface. The fish held out just long enough for us to guess we'd snagged a carp or a big spawned up rainbow trout. Then she surfaced, about 15 feet off the back of the boat, shining gold with a bright white fin tip. And we said collectively, holy crap. Chet stepped back with rod bowed. I moved forward with his busted net, which was far too small. We got her nose into the net just as the hook slipped her beak. And the biggest walleye we may ever see was suspended in the vacuum of the boat wake, laying in the net. I knelt, slid a finger behind her gill plate, and without any heroic actions on her part, hoisted her to the shaky-kneed, walleye-obsessed, musky chap, a.k.a. Chester Floyd. You could see that Midwest adrenaline course through his veins. Chet put her in the live well, which was amazing because she made the other two walleye in there look like bait in the box, or just like totally different species of fish. I grabbed my trusty Stanley measuring tape out of my bag, and that fish went 33 and a half inches long with 21 inches of girth. A true fish of a lifetime. If we'd only had a scale in the boat, it would also be the new catch and release state record I'm confident of that. That is, you know, if we'd had a scale. The continuing adventures of Chester the Investor. Ha! Come to Papa Moon. That's it. Come on. How's that for a fish story? Huh? Huh? Ended up taking three walleye home to the freezer to boot. In other news, you have got to get on the Meat Eater Auction House of Oddities. It is coming to a close very soon after you hear this podcast. Bid on some outstanding gear. My buddy, Old Timey Hockey, has a pile of official Bauer hockey gear, and he'll record for you a custom message for yourself or a friend. Isn't that something? I have a Final Rise bird vest and custom dog-human first aid kit and a set of my steel pruning shears on there. There are bows, rifles, and even a pheasant foot head scratcher that old Snorticus and our own Corinne Schneider, producer of the Meat Eater podcast, collaborated on. And remember, all cash goes to the Meat Eater Land Access Initiative. Moving on. And I decided to start you off with a bit of good news. The Minam acquisition here in Northeast Oregon. Phase 1 was completed in 2021 and added 4,600 acres of public lands to the already existing and beautiful Minam River Wildlife Area. Phase 2 is the acquisition of another 11,000 acres slated to be deeded to the public sometime in 2023. The reason this is so significant for public land users in Oregon is that it will bridge a current gap from the Eagle Cap Wilderness south to the confluence of the Minam and Wallowa Rivers north. 
This area is home to Rocky Mountain elk, black bear, mule deer, white-tailed deer, Rocky Mountain sheep, turkey, and grouse. It's an amazing thing that the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife is working on in conjunction with Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, and I think it deserves a light to be shed on it, which is a great example of what we're trying to do with Land Access Initiative Cash. It could go into a collaborative effort with folks like RMEF, ODFW, pick an acronym really, as long as it provides more hunting and fishing access. Now, I'm going to give you some examples of what folks are writing in with, which are good examples of necessary access projects in their areas. Listen up. This is the first Atlanta city park that plans to provide access to the Chattahoochee River. Downstream of the Paces Mill National Park is inaccessible to anyone without a jet boat due to impassable water at the water treatment plant about two miles below the ramp. Below the water treatment plant are miles and miles of beautiful river that passes some of Atlanta's growing west side neighborhoods, Six Flags, and areas that were heavily populated with Native Americans. Currently, that's a good pun for you, the only way to access this section of river is with a boat via the downstream ramp in Fairburn, about a 45-minute boat ride for an average boat. And unless the river is running high, the boat needs to have a jet motor. This would access some stretches to non-jet boats and also would open up easy access to the stretch of river for kayakers. The location was recently announced to have been purchased by the city of Atlanta and will be made into a public park. Long term, the plan is for it to have river access, but there is currently no mention of a boat ramp. There you have it. If you're in the Atlanta area, write to your city officials and tell them about this need and why it's important to you. Next up. The Des Plaines River is one of the best fisheries in Illinois, as well as duck hunting opportunities. I have gone to the DNR to put a boat launch in Romeoville, but no progress made. There is only one boat launch in Burr Ridge that is privately owned and can be shut down at any time. This river is long and needs more access. The Romeoville spot is a perfect halfway point from Burr Ridge to Joliet and would open a lot of opportunities for all walks of life. If you're in Illinois, write your DNR, write your local elected officials, get yourself a boat launch. Next up, because it is right in my backyard, so to speak, it would be awesome to have a spot close to the house to get the kids out in nature. This is a state natural preserve that has been closed down ever since I moved to Virginia Beach back in 2018. All the website says is closed due to lack of funding and closed due to criminal acts or something or another on another page. This is about 3,000 acres. Something smells fishy about it. I'm going to call the number on the website and get some more info. If you're in Virginia Beach and know of this nature preserve, about 3,000 acres that's been closed since 2018, get on the horn and do something about it. Unit 10 in Arizona is about 1.4 million acres and has been home to at least elk and antelope that have made the Boone and Crockett record books. Since some fairly recent private land ownership changes, the public squares of the checkerboard land have become landlocked, as well as huge portions past these checkerboard lands. It is a great unit with lots of tags that ends up being cut into at least a tenth of its size. Pressure in the accessible regions is immense, and these same regions are not the finer portions of the unit. So if you're in Arizona, start writing letters, making phone calls, and seeing what you can do to get some easements through the checkerboard into that big, beautiful public land. 
moving on. Higby Beach Wildlife Management Area is one of the last public marsh and upland woods areas left in Cape May County. Hunting is already restricted to just about one month per year, and now there is a proposed project that will completely destroy the existing natural habitat and create paths for birders exclusively. Being surrounded by salt marsh on three sides, having a freshwater marsh to waterfowl hunt without a boat is extremely valuable. Losing this space for outdoorsmen would only further hamper the growth of hunting and harm future preservation efforts elsewhere in the state. If you know of Higby Beach Wildlife Management Area in Cape May County, get on the horn and see what you can do to save your hunting. Hamlin Lake is right up the road from where my husband and I live. Our family still is close by. My husband grew up in the area being able to access this lake and property as a kid, and we would love to bring the grandkids there. There is a waterfall that Kootenai County owns coming out of the lake that people ice climb but legally don't have access. With the growing population in the area, another close-to-town public access would be very valuable. It's an absolute shame to the community that this lake is all locked up. Manhattan is surrounded by water, and there's not a single place to put in even a kayak. A new boat launch would positively benefit an enormous amount of people with access to recreation and nature. Recently, a bridge was closed. If you were to cross that bridge, you can access trails and thousands of acres of public land. It used to belong to the federal government. The bridge is owned by private owners now. They don't allow people to access it. The bridge is only 50 feet long. That 50-foot bridge prevents access from a public road to public trails on the other side. A large cattle ranch has landlocked much of the public land here. Access to the public land they cut off is in my backyard, but I simply cannot reach it. This access site matters to me because it would allow more members of my community to access the Columbia River and nearby sloughs. My idea is a public kayak launch that is a safe and easy access point away from motorboat access. There is plenty of public and city-owned land in the area where this could go in. We only have one public boat launch that is overcrowded with people and traffic, especially when springers are running. I have fished and swam in this water for 30 years, with my family fishing there for decades before that. Only within the past couple of years has access been completely removed. 20 years ago, there was a county road that led to a small bridge crossing the waterway, which had space to launch a small boat by hand. This road has long since been sold to property owners. The opposite end of the waterway had a public boat ramp, but the property was sold and closed. A public right-of-way at the very end of the waterway allowed for enough space to launch smaller boats, but has now been fenced off. As a prior portion of the Trinity River that was dammed to prevent flooding, this area technically meets the criteria for navigable water in Texas. Two or three landowners shouldn't have the power to deny access to generations of outdoor enthusiasts. The Dupage River is one of the best smallmouth fisheries in the Midwest. The problem is there are a lot of homes that border it. They own the river bed but are fighting so fishermen cannot float over it. They say it is still private property even though it's just the riverbed they own. They are trying to get the Department of Natural Resources to close the river permanently to public use. The Maison River is, in my opinion, the most scenic river in Illinois. 
It is known for its rich fossil mines that contribute to museums all over the world. Though it is marked as non-navigable, I beg to differ. I have traversed it by kayak, as have many people. Of these common people, many have been harassed and even arrested. This water is considered private ground, not just the shoreline. The smallmouth fishing is legendary. Since COVID, people have been in an uproar over the plethora of unnavigable rivers in Illinois, which restrict water access to common people. I think the Maison is the biggest tragedy within that issue. This specifically pertains to kayak access, as the Maison only allows non-motorized craft for anyone with ownership as it is. I am speaking to the state at a hearing on the 31st of March. Your help would mean the world to many outdoorsmen around Chicago. That's just a taste of the over 300 submissions that we've gotten so far. I'm going through them as best as I can. What you need to take away right now is these submissions are coming in from all across the United States. They do affect you. They affect your kids, your ability to roam, and just breathe free air in America. Okay? That's what I believe. We're going to do some great stuff with Meat Eaters Land Access Initiative by finding ways to provide more access to hunting and fishing. We need your help both in providing more submissions and by providing funds, especially once we put the bullseye on our next project. For Frodo. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. You've heard that name before because I've talked about them here on this podcast. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. Now, it's wild access deer, which is an invasive species, but this operation is monitored and observed by the USDA and they can commercially sell axis deer. Last time I went out to uh, Maui to hunt axis, I did not kill one. 
which is where Maui Nui Venison would come in very handy for folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful and still want to have something in the freezer or uh, handy in the form of a snack stick that is as close to getting your own as you can get, which is what Maui Nui Venison is. You can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. Moving on to the legislative updates. Legislative sessions are wrapping up in most states, and I wanted to circle back on three bills we've mentioned earlier this year. In Kansas, Governor Laura Kelly just signed a bill that would create a lifetime hunting and fishing license for kids. Parents, guardians, or other adults will be able to purchase a $300 lifetime combo license for kids 5 and under, or a $500 lifetime license for 6- and 7-year-olds. The policy will sunset in 2032. As we discussed back in episode 150, the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks opposed the measure, apparently because a $300 lifetime license would result in less funding than annual combo licenses. The bill passed unanimously in the Senate and by a 73-vote margin in the House. From a funding perspective, I guess you have to hope that the little tykes never get serious about their hunting and angling. They get a couple seasons in and decide it's not for them, which is hard to root for. So instead, just hope that their folks are able to explain what a great deal they set them up with and how they should look for opportunities to pay forward on their good fortunes. I know I'm a sucker for the voluntary fees and donations that are mixed in with license purchases and tag applications these days. Next up, Mississippi bow hunters will have an opportunity this September to go after velvet bucks. Governor Tate Reeves signed a bill on April 14 that instructs the Mississippi Commission on Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks to establish a three- to five-day velvet bow hunting hunting season at some point between September 10 and September 20. Only bucks that meet antler criteria for the respective deer management unit can be harvested, but the season will be open on both private and state land. The bill passed unanimously in the Senate and only received two nay votes in the House. Over in Washington, D.C., the U.S. Congress recently approved the most important public land bill since the Great American Outdoors Act, the MAP Land Act, just passed the U.S. Senate by unanimous consent and is headed to President Joe Biden's desk. You can read more in Katie Hill's article on TheMeatEater.com, but the MAP Land Act would require federal land management agencies to digitize their public land data. This would make information on trails, easements, and property lines accessible on digital maps like OnX, which could significantly increase our ability to legally access public land. For example, digitized easements could tell hunters, anglers, and other public land users about previously unknown legal routes to sections of public land. To my knowledge, President Biden hasn't said whether he supports the bill, but given the massive bipartisan support the Mapland Act has received, I'd say the odds are in favor. Great opportunity to call your elected officials and thank them for supporting great legislation. I'm the map, I'm the map, I'm the map, I'm the map, I'm the map! Moving on and back to the fishing desk, in a way. The aquarium trade has a demand for new and unusual, 
and instead of finding it in the wild, scientists genetically modified fish to glow neon. Of course, these fish happened to escape into the Atlantic forest region of Brazil. According to a recent paper in the journal Studies on Neotropical Fauna and Environment, zebrafish with genes spliced into their DNA from naturally glowing species such as jellyfish have escaped pet breeding facilities in Brazil and are now reproducing in the wild. I know what you're thinking. Shouldn't Jurassic Park be required reading for people in these facilities? Nature finds a way, team. The transgenic glowing zebrafish have become extremely popular with aquarium owners, and one strain even goes by the trademark name Glowfish. That's glow without the W. Transgenic means any species with a genome modified with DNA from another species. That can happen artificially, as with the zebrafish, or naturally, as with the deloid rotifers we covered back in episode 114, who take DNA from the algae they eat and incorporate it into their own genome, which is extremely cool. Brazilian biologists are very concerned that the glowing zebrafish seem to be reproducing quickly and competing with native fish for insects. However, I'm not totally concerned, as we fishermen spend a lot of extra money on baits that glow so I'd kind of expect these fish to get gobbled up super fast. But I guess we'll find out if we fell for the hype of a glow-in-the-dark marketing scheme if these living versions of the banjo minnow survive very long. Which makes me think, and stay with me here, what if we spliced a bit of jellyfish DNA into a few pythons and released them into the Florida night? Maybe once he could see these pythons glowing in the dark, hunters would stand some chance of finding them and controlling their numbers. And considering how many pythons are likely out there, you could probably be able to see the Everglades glowing from space. Isn't that something? Moving on to the reverse extinction desk. In October of last year, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service declared that 23 species of birds, mussels, bats, and fish had gone extinct. One of those species, the ivory-billed woodpecker, had been on the endangered species list since 1967, but hadn't been officially seen since 1944. The key word here is officially. Lots of people claim to have seen one since 1944, but lots of people also claim to have seen black mountain lions in Arkansas, Elvis in Walmart, Sasquatch, even myself in bars that I've never even frequented. You can't trust them, is what I'm saying. The ivory-billed woodpecker suffered from deforestation and overhunting in the 1800s, and only very small numbers survived into the 20th century. Lacking enough hard evidence that any individuals existed in 2021, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service determined that the ivory-billed woodpecker had indeed gone extinct. But that may not be the end of the story. In a new research paper that has yet to be peer-reviewed, a team of biologists claim to have documented photographic evidence that ivory-billed woodpeckers still live. Like feathery CIA agents with a taste for gumbo in an undisclosed location in Louisiana. A nine-year search from 2012 to 2021 yielded photographs and videos that the team collected using trail cameras and a drone. Researchers also claim to have seen and heard the bird on numerous occasions, though they do not submit those sightings as official evidence in their paper. You can see the photos for yourself by following the link in the episode description. But to my eyes, they're not as conclusive as I would have hoped. 
despite how far photographic technology has come in the last few years, the photos are grainy and appear to be shot from a long distance. If you've ever struggled to see the points on a buck's rack in poor quality trail cam footage, you can imagine the experience, right? To help me decipher these photos, I reached out to the paper's lead researcher, Dr. Stephen C. Latta. I asked him why his team believes they captured ivory-billed woodpeckers and not the similar-looking, but much more common, pileated woodpecker. Dr. Latta told me that there are a few important points about these photos. First, even though it's hard to tell, the photos do show the ivory-billed woodpecker's distinctive white saddle that forms when the bird's wings are closed against its back. You can also see the bird's long neck and foot placement, which, according to Dr. Latta, are distinctive of the ivory-billed woodpecker as opposed to the pileated. Latta also pointed out that the photos clearly show a group of three woodpeckers foraging together. Pileated woodpeckers rarely forage, even in pairs, and are fierce defenders of their territory. The fact that the team captured three large woodpeckers foraging on the same tree strongly suggests that the birds are ivory-billed. The ivory-billed woodpecker saga goes to show just how difficult, if not impossible, it can be to prove beyond a doubt that a species has gone extinct. The world is a big place, and despite the illusion that humans control it, there are just too many places for a little bird or a mouse or a lizard to hide. Latta and his team offer a few explanations as to why the ivory-billed woodpecker has been so tough to track down. The researchers point out that the species occupies some of the most difficult-to-reach mature bottomland forest habitat in the U.S. The birds live within a large home range up to four miles in diameter and eat insects from dead and dying trees that do not last for long periods of time. These factors help explain why the birds aren't often seen at the same place twice and why scientists have such a difficult time finding them on purpose. And if you believe in imprinted behavior being passed down, the ivory bills were hunted persistently. The intensity in which they were hunted actually increased when it was known that their numbers were dwindling and the birds were likely to go extinct. The scarcity of the bird drove demand. Only the best and most persistent hunters could get close to them. If they do in fact exist in this Louisiana swamp, these birds are the descendants of birds that became so wary of humans and so good at avoiding them that they were in fact believed to be extinct. So, the next time you're wandering through the bottomlands of Louisiana, keep your eyes and ears peeled. Here's what you're listening for. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, if you're sick and tired of staring at those broken limbs and tangled branches out your back door, go to www.steeldealers.com and find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They're going to get you set up with what you need, not send you home with what you don't. As per usual, tell me what I'm doing right, what I'm getting wrong, and most importantly, what's going on in your neck of the woods by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's AskCal, at TheMeatEater.com. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. 
Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.